Welcome to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm, a podcast for managing and growing your legal practice. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Entrepreneurial Lawyer. Today, we have an in-house guest, Matt Holman from Philemon, who's going to talk to us about meetings. I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, I just, I have to go to a meeting, but he's going to explain how this can be exciting. Today, it's just me. I'm flying solo. So you have only one host. Shout out to my co-host, Sarah. Hope you're doing well. Can't wait to have you back into the studio. Matt, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Now, if you could just tell our guests a little bit about yourself and what the business is, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So I am, uh, as I joke a lot, the recovering lawyer. Uh, I have a business called Filament. We design, we facilitate, we host meetings, retreats, conferences, offsites. Uh, but fundamentally, what we do is we help smart people think together better. And so, whether you think about a meeting, whether you think about getting together a group for a retreat or an offsite, mm-hmm. oftentimes those tend to be PowerPoint-driven information delivery affairs. And our model is dramatically different. We have our own space in St. Louis, and when people come to us, we host, we facilitate, we help them uh, accomplish what they're hoping to accomplish. Uh, and we ban PowerPoint on top of it. So uh, we make sure and try and make the meetings better for folks. So you make it more exciting. More, I would say more purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, most meetings, the interesting thing about selling meetings, right, even though so much of what we're doing is problem solving with our customers, is that so much about when you ask people about their meetings, every, they're all terrible because uh, <laughs> you're never taught how to do them, right? You're never taught to be intentional to think about meetings. And so we end up with these kind of Frankenstein-style meetings where we hope to get alignment, though we don't define it, uh, where we hope to have people do homework and none of them look at it, uh, where we hope to try and reach some sort of agreement and share information and brainstorm and, and, and. And so most people, and these are done by people who have spent more time of their life in meetings than in any other work function, mm-hmm. yet less time learning how to do good meetings than any other type of work function. And so it becomes this perfect storm of terrible lack of purpose, lack of focus, and lack of results meetings. And so the ones we facilitate, the trainings we do, and the tools we build try to solve for all three of those things. And that's not just attorneys. That's anyone, right? So I started with lawyers. So started with lawyers. I, oh, I think, man. I think that if you, <laughs> and, and having been a lawyer, I think that if you can get lawyers to engage, uh, to solve problems, to quit looking at their phones, quit looking at their watches, and, and get them past the six-minute increments on their timesheets, uh, they're incredibly intelligent people, as we as we both know. I think I don't I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment, but so rarely did they get to put that intelligence, that insight, that problem solving instinct uh, to focus on their own business. Mm-hmm. They're great at solving problems for customers, uh, for clients, I suppose we should say. But one of the things when we do retreats for law firms is we're focusing on getting that brain power working together to help them think about how the firm should run better, how they can serve clients better how they can even think about collaboration, cross-selling, all of those things, because that's the conversations they never get to have. Right. Uh, and it's a time they never take. Well, and especially in this year being just so different, firms are reevaluating what their business plan is. And so these types of meetings, as you said, it's the perfect storm, but it's the best way to really dive in and figure out, okay, what are our needs and what do we need to change? And if you're just stuck in a conference room or if you're just in the office, I don't think you're really getting that brain power and that creativity to think bigger picture. Oh, and I think I, you get so myopic. I know that happens with you here uh, in your space. One of the challenges that we find is the moment you try to do a retreat, uh, no matter how well-intentioned it is, if you're in your office, mm-hmm. uh, you see the partner walk by for to whom you owe an email. Uh, you step back to your desk for just a second. 
someone pulls you aside to ask you a quick question, you have now lost the threat. Not only right. do you get pulled out of the meeting, sometimes physically, uh, but certainly mentally, and it gets hard to get back. And so to be able to take some well-intentioned and purposeful time to think about the business, uh, it's time that not enough lawyers make, whether they're a small firm or a large one. And the traditional law firm retreat, and this is how we start, this is where our business really started, is the traditional law firm retreat is the the same everyone. It's, there's the golf outing. There's a massage for people who don't want to play golf. Uh, there's also on top of that, the CFO's report where he apologizes and it's almost always a he sadly, uh, for the bad Excel spreadsheet they pulled into their slide. It is some inspirational speaker that tries to convince them that they can just sell better if they work harder. Uh, and even in those retreats, there's very little collaborative time. And so our model in everything we do is how do you build small group conversations? Mm-hmm. How do you have them funnel up to a meaningful result? Well, you're spot on because we tried to retreat here in-house first, and we were in one of our courtrooms, and people were just getting pulled out or they're checking their phones, and it just it wasn't productive at all. So then we did an offsite, which was much better, but there's always room for improvement. Well, and, and when I- Kelly came across your company, I was like, oh, I wish we would have come across you before our offsite retreat. So maybe next year. Uh, maybe uh, depends on how the, how many downloads we get on this podcast. I suppose <laughs> I will tell you one of the things that is a benefit of any outside facilitator. It doesn't have to be someone who does it, who uses our approach is that it is so rare when you are leading your team in any sort of meeting, but certainly when it's about the future of the business, the business model, the way you serve clients, et cetera, is that the person who tends to lead those is oftentimes the person in charge of the business in some way. Mm -hmm. And so they can take one of two approaches. The first approach is they can try to be that servant leader, right? I'm going to just want to, I'm here to listen. And in those situations, then that person, the room is deprived of their insight. They're the boss in some cases for a reason. Uh, Or they turn it into, I'm going to lecture the room on here's what I want to do for the next eight hours. And either way is an ideal. And so having that outside facilitator, and especially in our model, it allows the, uh, the leaders to be peers, to be in the room, to be rolling at their sleeves and solving problems in small groups with their team members versus feeling like they've got to own the experience yeah. and make sure it's time to go to the bathroom when we got to go to the bathroom and that lunch is on its way. So you're essentially, you're, you're checking your title at the door, right? And then you're allowing someone else to be the facilitator to help move discussions and conversations along. At least as best we can. One of the CEOs of a, one of the Fortune 500 companies that we work with regularly uh, he would ask, the first time I remember this conversation, he would ask, well, should I just wander around and kind of listen in because I don't want to impact a group? Uh, and I said to him uh, that if you're in a small group, you ruin that group. If you're wandering around, you ruin all of them. Mm-hmm. And so even if you can't check your title at the door from the perception of your team members, still being able to be focused with them and and being as best a peer as you can be uh, tends to make the the ideas that come out a bit more democratic versus the autocratic. That tends to happen more often than not. Right. And then when you're seeing your leader walk around, you're just focusing on what he or she is doing and wanting to please them as opposed to potentially right. solving a problem. And hand. will they hear me talk about what's broken in our organization? Right. And well, so, or do you want to talk about what's broken? You right. You can if they're walking <laughs> around. Right. But if you're with your peers, and again, so much of our work is we use canvases, exercises, tools, worksheets, multiple different approaches to to work in small groups. Uh, And then we come back to the big room, we report out, we synthesize and rinse and repeat. But it allows those four or five people 
to have a meaningful conversation in a way that they can't even when the all, the whole room is listening, mm-hmm. whether they're nervous about what they're going to say or they just uh, realize their boss, their boss's boss, and their boss's boss's boss is also in the room, and they've never been able to articulate that in that kind of situation in the past. Yeah, and it can be intimidating too when you see that level of leadership there. Absolutely. Right? But what's exciting, I think, is when you go off-site, whether it's just down the street, but just leaving your actual office or company, it's just something clicks and people feel more on the peer level as opposed to supervisor subordinate. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a total signal for sure. And I think that if you have, were taking eight hours for a retreat, the best path is the four hours in the afternoon of one day, dinner together right? There's something about breaking bread. There's something about fundamentally mm-hmm. dining together yeah, that, you that is Build that camaraderie. Build together. the camaraderie. Sleep on all the problems you've surfaced and thought about in the first day, and then you come back that next morning. It's amazing how much more work gets done in those two four-hour chunks than in one solid eight hours, even though you're spending the exact same amount of time together. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on a weekend retreat or maybe even three, four days? Or is that too long? Is there like something that's the, the sweet spot? There are... And if you can be intentional and really think about doing work and not just thinking about work. And what I mean by doing work is that lots of times uh, an idea will pop up and it goes on the board and then you get back to the office and you never touch it again. And so that's what most retreats feel like, even well-facilitated ones. Mm -hmm. When you take time and can really take a deep dive, part of what you can do is say, okay, we're going to spend half a day. We're going to do some stuff. Right, we've had some ideas. Let's move them from point A to point B to point C versus us coming back to the retreat inboxes full of emails and so on and so forth. The other challenge with lawyers, and we say this a lot, is that the most important, the most expensive thing, and probably important as well, is the time and attention of your attendees. And lawyers, unlike many professions, oftentimes know exactly what every six minutes of their day is worth. And so the moment you start to think about multiple days and other mm-hmm. things. It's, a, it's an expense, not for the facilitation of the space, but for the time of the lawyers. And so how do you think creatively about putting it to good use? Uh, so the, there's ROI there. Uh, and, and with so many lawyers, like being better or faster at something doesn't help. Right. Right. If I can all of a sudden do a task in half the time as my peers, even in the same firm, I now have to go find twice as much work to make up for it because I'm only being judged by in every six minute increment. Or I can't double my fee like I should be able to because it's kind of set by the marketplace yeah. when you bill by the hour. Do you think having that meeting during the week or the weekend is better or does it matter? I like I, I like a mix of both. I think having at least part of it during the week certainly helps to signal that this is a work thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes, especially if you go off-site, it's not the worst thing to, to lean into a, a weekend. You just have to make certain that it doesn't feel perfunctory uh, and it doesn't feel like, oh, we're going to do something we could have easily done asynchronously or done um, in in bits and pieces. I want to, the one other thing I'll add though, Dan, that I think is important, and we've seen this now a couple times, both virtually and in person, is almost always when a law firm retreats, they retreat with the lawyers. Sometimes just the partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, if you really want to talk about how to make your firm better, the people who have the most insight are the staff. And I refuse, and I'll use it in this way just to just to uh, caution against its regular use. The non-lawyers, right? The the people in your firm who are professional who are focused on client success, who are making sure the trains run on time and the business is effective, they're often excluded from retreats because we can't spend the money on everyone. Mm-hmm. And we've done this recently twice, uh, both uh, all both in the last two years. Once uh, when circumstances required us to be virtual, one of the large firms here centered in St. Louis brought together 800 people, 
including half of their, well, 400 lawyers, 400 staff. And it was transformative for them to be able to have the, and, and I'll, as an example, because they're here in St. Louis, I just shared this. I went to go pick up my check for us doing this work. And it was done over a month's time. Uh, lots of small hundred group sessions all done virtually with collaborative opportunities and chances for them to think in smaller groups versus at all 800 plenary type session all the time. But I went in to pick up my check and still masked up as we were then. Uh, and the two people at the front desk said, oh, are you Matt Homan from Filament? Never met me in person. Recognized at least the top half yeah. of my face and said, we love the retreat. Because they, for the first time, were validated as meaningful problem-solving partners in the firm. Mm -hmm. And then most recently down about maybe six months ago now, uh, down in Oklahoma, there's a firm that we work with that has offices in both Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Uh, the Oklahoma City office is the more junior of the two. And they did a retreat with all of their lawyers and staff. They took the Tulsa group, bus them to Oklahoma City. It sent a signal not only that we're one firm, as many firms with multiple offices purport to be, uh, but again, having staff involved, the 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 youngest, newest, perhaps not youngest, uh, employee from the mailroom or the copy room was there side by side with the partner who had, you know, it gets talked up for, as the next Supreme Court justice, like that kind of status. And again, they're talking about serving clients better. And staff had many, if not better ideas in my, in my experience watching this happen now more than once, but they're never asked to share. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because uh, when I was a partner at a large firm, and I would do a lot of traveling, I would make it a point to talk to the receptionist or the legal office administrator because they're the ones on the front line. They have that face-to-face -face interaction and they're going to have a lot of great ideas to where if you don't ask, you, you may not be able to improve your business. Right, and take it one level down and say, when I go to visit that client, uh, how do we build an inclusive uh, client success summit? Right? Mm -hmm. How do we get their people who are working with us and touching the legal work in-house and our team, again, both the lawyers who are appearing in court and filing and signing the names of the documents and the support team that is fundamentally moving in paralegals and beyond and focus on how we serve you better, yep. right? A lot of, at least in my opinion, I think a lot of managers or partners overlook that, that level. And that level is just so crucial to being able to move your business forward because they are, they're, they're client-facing. Right. Not every attorney is client-facing, but your receptionists, your administrators, your law clerks, they're all client-facing. You want to go, I know we have a lot of lawyers who'll be listening to this. Go to your staff, find a way for them to submit this anonymously, uh, but ask everyone in the team to pick up the top three things about your firm that annoy your clients. Lawyers will almost always focus on our prices are too high or... We, I can't respond to them in the middle of the night. Your staff will have deep insight on small little things that you're doing that they hear when they talk on the phone, mm -hmm. when they engage with their peers and your client organizations that are magically easy to fix. And that word annoy is such a powerful one. Uh, you'd ask my wife what she hates about me, and there's I think there's three things. Nothing. Oh, no, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not deal breakers. There's three things probably. Uh, but if you ask what annoys her about me, it's like, how much time do we have and is there wine involved, right? That conversation <laughs> is a much deeper one. And again, it's a, it's a silly little language shift, but your staff has so much more insight to your business than you tend to give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And when they're asked, especially for the first time to contribute in that way, uh, they are not only grateful, but they are fonts of information and are as engaged as anyone else. And it becomes in some ways a big boost to your culture as well. 
Oh, absolutely. It's it's a game changer because then they feel part of the organization. They feel as if they're a partner and not just a worker bee or a, a minion per se, right? right? They actually feel valued. And that's something that's just been missing for so long. But then you take the law firm aspect of it, so old school in the way that most firms operate. And I'm just thinking back in my day, not the last firm I was with, but before that, it was just so old school that that mentality would not survive and thrive in today's day. Right. Right. I'll tell you one other thing. We're talking about retreats and bigger meetings, but fundamentally, the most bang for your buck on a skill that you can master uh, as any professional is just being better at your own meetings. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's fa- always fascinating to me that, and I remember this, this was our meeting we had at the beginning of every Monday morning in the firm when I first started. All the lawyers were around a big table. We took turns sharing what was going on, not as much for the rest of the lawyers, but for the managing partner, Right. And so you start to think about meeting math is that if I have an eight-person meeting for an hour, that's an eight-hour meeting, right? We've lost a full-time day for that meeting. And yet we oftentimes decide to schedule meetings because we procrastinate. It's a way for us not to work until we actually get together. And so we keep on scheduling meetings that aren't necessarily important to have. So just as an example, I don't know if I'll get the math right, but if I have an an eight-person meeting for an hour is an eight-hour meeting, my hour, your hour, so on and so forth. But if that leader engages with each of those seven people for what would have otherwise been the 10 minutes or so that they would have spent, Mm -hmm. the time of the meeting doesn't just have, it's a fourth the amount of time that you spend. And so we always think about, I wish I had more people. I wish I had more hours in the day. Being better at your individual meetings, which in some cases means not having them, moving the work asynchronously, finding ways to be intentional about who's invited, what the purpose is, what you're going to accomplish, et cetera carves out massive amounts of your day to do work that might be billable, that might, you know, move the needle during the rest of the year for being better at doing stuff in your firm. Uh, But our first instinct is put everything on the calendar. And in most organizations, you see someone who might have to wait years before they could spend $5,000 on anything. But that same person can put $100,000 worth of meetings on the calendar and no one bats an eye. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we talk about meetings, it's not just the big meetings that are the flashy ones that we pay attention to, that we spend much time preparing for, but even those individual small meetings, making them even 10% better over the hundreds of meetings you have on your calendar in a year has really significant impact. I have never thought of that before. And that is such an interesting point because you're right. You have these attorneys or in other industries, other billers, but for law firms, you have attorneys gathered together. And if you just add up the math and it's just going through the motions, it's not anything of value. You're losing money. So you you really do need to make sure that the meetings are of substantive value. It's just as if you're meeting with your associate. You want to make sure that both of you are talking about a case. If you're going to bill on it, it's moving the case forward, that the client's getting value out of it. And so in this case, I think I would look at more of your employees, your associates, they're your client and you want to make sure that you're getting some value out of that meeting. And with lawyers, because you have so oftentimes attributed a price to every hour of your day, that hour-long meeting with five lawyers or 10 lawyers, if they're billing $500 an hour, that's $5,000. You've just, and if you're spending that time making decisions that in some are less than $5,000 worth, right? What color curtain should we buy? (laughs) I don't care. It's not worth our time. We're losing that sort of thing. And I guarantee that your clients, every time they see two or more billers on the bill, or every time they come together in a meeting, they're doing the math in their head. Oh, sure. But we never think about that from a time, the the in, the overhead of meetings on our organization because it's just it's the, it's a natural instinct. And, and calendars make it so easy to do. Click another person, mm-hmm. click another person, click another person. 
and all of a sudden now you've wasted $300,000 in a year. It's going shopping online. You just don't think about it. It adds up, right? That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Entrepreneur Lawyer. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll be splitting this into two episodes. So don't forget to listen to this in two weeks. Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm, presented by Lexicon. Lexicon is a legal software and services provider that enables lawyers to do what they do best, practice law. Tune in next time with our hosts and be sure to subscribe and leave your review on your preferred podcast streaming platform or by visiting lexiconservices.com.